me were here the past couple weeks, past couple weeks. Somebody even told me, right, I've been here five weeks in a row. Can we give it up? I love that. Five weeks in a row. And it's become a habit. And so we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you've been following along, uh, man, we're going to skip a few chapters because we do have all summer to do this. But 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you got your Bibles out, get your Bibles out. Even somebody this morning said, Pastor, I'm going to steal two Bibles. I said, steal them, baby. And so we have some Bibles available for free on the side, paperback version. Get your version app and let's get, let's get right into God's Word. 1 Samuel Chapter 16, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here, and bring him Bring him here. And one of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem, he's a talented heart player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking, fine-looking young man, like your pastor. <laughs> there we go. And the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David, the shepherd. Send me your son David the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. This was an honorable gift to the king. So David went to Saul and began serving him. I want you to know this. This is before David found a big man named Goliath. This is before David met a man named Goliath. So David went to Saul and began to serve him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer, someone who would carry the, uh, the weaponry in the war. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Please let David remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, give us words of uh, wisdom, word of knowledge today. Holy Spirit, be with us today. Father, I pray for your word. Father, I pray, may it not just be information, but Father, may it be forever transformation. Father, we want life transformation to take place because your word is living, it's active, it's powerful. So Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and everybody give me a good amen. A good amen. Um, I grew up my parents divorced when I was eight, and uh, they both remarried. My mom remarried an amazing guy named Dean, and he has four kids. My dad remarried a, a wonderful lady named Gail, and she has four kids. So together with everybody, it's 11 kids, because later on, we found a half-brother and welcomed him into the family. And a lot of people are like, Is your, are, are your parents ministers? No, but you, they're close, though. I mean, we're used furniture salesmen, so same thing, same thing, really. And so with seven kids in one house, seven kids in one house, my mom and my stepdad, they were pretty, you know, aware or frugal. And so anytime, uh, man, we would get hurt, the prescription was not the doctor. The prescription, she was a former nurse as well, uh, wasn't the doctor. Uh, Maddie was either a Band-Aid or echinacea. 
How many know what echinacea is? It's kind of popular now, but growing up, that's all I knew. I, I, even, I, I didn't think there was any, we didn't know what antibiotics was. It was echinacea. I mean, you fall down, scrape her knee, go, Mom! She goes, take some echinacea, you know? Uh, any, my, my, my stomach doesn't feel good. Uh, what's the prescription? Echinacea. Uh, later, we got married, moved out of the house, went to Bible college, you know, came to Vegas, pastor for uh, about two decades, and even going back home in the Midwest, maybe the Midwest thing, going back home in the Midwest, I meet my sister-in-law, and one of her kids has a cough, and she pulls out homemade echinacea, you know, like, what is this? And so the prescription uh, for my family growing up was echinacea, and you got to say it with the Midwest accent, by the way, you know. But the title of my sermon today, as we talk about Saul and we talk about David, the title of my message today is Worship is My Prescription. Worship is My Prescription. And I really want to address something before we get into worship today. It's the first Samuel chapter 16. It says, now the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. The Spirit of the Lord left Saul. The Holy Spirit left Saul. The Spirit of the Lord left Saul. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and with fear. Now, as I begin to study this, I, we, keep, we keep reading this. I'm, and I know you're seeing this today too. God sent a tormenting spirit. But as we begin to break down the original language, there's, there's really three things that this, that this particular statement means when it said God sent a tormenting spirit. Number one was God allowed a tormenting spirit to enter into Saul because Saul rejected God. And so God allowed it, but also number two, God uses it. And so God is saying, man, you rejected my spirit, and so I'm going to allow a tormenting spirit, uh, but also God's going to use the situation to bring in David. So God, God uh, he allowed it because there's will and free will, but also God uses it, even the devil's under God's authority, and God said, go ahead, but I'm still going to use it because whatever the devil intended for evil, God always turns it around for good. God says, I have a greater plan and a greater purpose. So make sure you watch last week's message kind of for the, for the entire story, but I want you to really realize that Saul's rejection of the Holy Spirit led to a tormenting spirit. He rejected the spirit. Now remember, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit typically would go upon the kings and the judges or an anointed boy named David. And the Holy Spirit was nothing like the New Testament where Jesus said, I came, paid the price, paid the penalty of sin. I must ascend into heaven so the Holy Spirit can come. So the Holy Spirit can come. Now, as we begin to study this, we see this 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 19, a tormenting spirit came and tormented Saul. And there's kind of two things that talks about tormented him with depression and with fear. That either Saul was possessed or he was depressed. He was either possessed or he was depressed. What's, what's interesting is you begin to study kind of these two different paths, you'll be able to find that there's many similarities that yes, we can, yes, there's possession of, an, of a tormenting spirit, but also it can lead to being influenced into depression by a tormenting spirit. How many know? Welcome to Avenue Church in the summer, everybody. Amen. But here's John chapter 14. It says this. If you love me, obey my commands. And Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. He'll give you another advocate. I mean, no, we're not alone in this, everybody. He'll give you an advocate. 
Another translation says a comforter. He'll give you an advocate. He'll give you a comforter. He is the Holy Spirit. So here's the good news today. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, and the evil spirits are tormentors. Holy Spirit is our comforter, and evil spirits are tormentors. Now, a lot of times we go, ooh, like evil spirits, like what's going on here? What kind of church is this? And I, I, maybe your first time uh, with us today, please bear with me. Please know that we're not like, there's a demon in your seat. Please understand that. But we also have a, a greater awareness that there really is something going on in this earth. In Ephesians chapter 6, uh, it says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. So this is the New Testament. There is principalities and darkness. It says against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, as I begin to study this, there's a theologian that I trust. is Baker in Bible Encyclopedia. And this is what Baker says. He says, spirits may be identified by their specific role or function, such as the spirit of murder, spirit of suicide, spirit of lust, spirit of depression, fear, lying, etc., associating them with various sins or attitudes contrary to God, the kind of things that the Bible lists under works of the flesh. So he puts Galatians chapter 5. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you reject the Spirit of God, and you say, I'm not going to be obedient to the Spirit of God, but I'm now going to open myself up to other spirits. Remember, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, but evil spirits are our tormentors. You see what I'm getting at this morning. And so this is what it says. If you give yourselves up to that, there's sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. How do you think impurities pass down from generation to generation? It's a spirit of lust. It's idolatry, sorcery, hostility. It's quarreling. It's quarreling. It's jealousy. Do you know what spiritual warfare is most days when you wake up and you did nothing wrong and your spouse did nothing wrong and you just mad at each other? There's some spiritual warfare in this thing, everybody. Not all the time. You know, sometimes she has a reason to be mad at me. Outburst of anger, spirit. Yeah, no, no. Selfish ambition, deception, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So as we're talking about these things, we're going, oh, my goodness. What, what, I mean, Holy Spirit, evil spirits, what, what's my prescription? What's my prescription? So Galatians 5, we just listed off a bunch of sinful things, all right? Galatians 5, we just listed off a bunch of sinful things. <laughs> come out in Jesus' name, you know. We listed off a bunch of sinful things. So what's my prescription? It says, but the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading. Our prescription this morning is the Holy Spirit. Our prescription this morning is the Holy Spirit. Pastor, I'm afraid I might be possessed. Well, open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to cover every square inch of our heart today. The Holy Spirit is our prescription. I want you to see this interesting commentary. It says, although someone may be said to be possessed by a demon or evil spirits, the Christian cannot be possessed, for he belongs to Christ 
and his human spirit has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's a good place to say amen, everybody, right? Amen, everybody. Hear me out. We do have power and authority because of the Holy Spirit. Greater is he who lives in me than he who is in the world. And so then it says this. uh, Demonic spirits somehow know and acknowledge this seal. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 1. This is what Ephesians 1. In him, in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel is your salvation. The moment you raise your hand at Avenue Church, and the moment you had a Bible and said, I repent of my sins, be Lord of my life, it says, whom also believing, I believe that I am a Christ follower. I believe I am saved. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit a promise who is guaranteed of our inheritance and the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. What does this mean? This means you are God's purchased possession. He purchased you when he died on the cross for you. He purchased us and said, man, I'm going to pay the penalty of sin. When he died on the cross, those three days, he went to hell, slapped the devil on the side of the head, took the keys and said, I have the authority over my purchased possessions, over my purchased possessions. So there's so much I want to touch on this, but there's two parts of this message today. Is there's a Holy Spirit who is our comforter, our advocate. He's the one that gives us love and joy and peace. It's very evident when there's a Holy Spirit is in our lives. Evil spirits are the ones that are quarreling, deception, lust, sexual immorality. You begin to see it time and time and time again. But here's what's First Samuel chapter 16. The tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul. David would play the harp. We saw this when Saul first became king with Samuel. And Samuel says, Saul, I need you to go down the hill, find the prophets. And they're prophesying with their harps. They're prophesying with their instruments, then Saul would feel better. This is why it's so important to be in the house of God every single Sunday, right? And I feel better. There's something about Avenue. Is it, is it the pastors? Is it the A-team? Friends, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. And this is not by chance. This is not the other, you know, playing a harp and the Holy Spirit's like, man, you're terrible. Or the evil spirit's like, man, this is terrible. I need to get out of here. But there is power in music. There is power in music. Now, everything on this planet was created originally for God. Every single thing that we do, if worship is my prescription, when I go to work and I work, I don't go just one mile, I go two miles. Even though I don't like my employer, I don't like my boss, that's called worship. When I, when I hold my tongue and get cut off in worship, or in, in worship, get, who's cutting people off in worship? If I get cut off on the 215, instead of giving them the, the number one, and I just go, it's fine, that's my worship. There's many ways that we worship. Preaching right now, I am worshiping God by talking about God. This is my worship. But here's what's so interesting. If everything on heaven and earth was created for God, to worship God, John Hopkins did a research And the research has shown that listening to music can reduce anxiety, lower blood pressure, and pain, as well as improve sleep, improve your mood, improve your mental alertness, and improve your memory. And this is a this is not a John Hopkins is from my understanding is not a Christian based organization. And here's what they, they, they begin to put individuals under an MRI under a machine so they can see brain activity. 
And here's what's really interesting is they said, what music did you grow up listening to? And someone would say, rap. Or they would go, what music would you grow up listening to? Someone would say, country. Oh, you're going to mess up the entire thing. I'm joking. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Uh, I listened to this, and they even did a study that whatever music you, you've been first introduced to is the one that inspires you the most. And so my, my, I love you, my baby boomers in this room going, I miss the old stuff. Why are they doing this new worship? Because it's whatever we were first introduced to, we love the most. And so put that on at home, put that on in the car. We worship before we get to worship. And so then they did an MRI and they played their music that they like, man. It might be some little bit of Vineyard, a little bit of Hosanna, a little bit of Back to Black, whatever it is, right? A little bit of Journey, you know. I don't know, a little bit of Run DMC. I know you're out there. And here's what it is. They begin to show a brain at rest. But then they begin to show brain's reaction to music. Things begin to happen. Things begin to take place. Friends, on Sunday morning, when we come together as a corporate gathering, I want you to know this. Worship is more than music. And worship is more than entertainment. It is more than music. It is more than entertainment. Man, if we want an entertainment avenue church, your pastor will be coming down from the ceiling. <sighs> from the back. <laughs> but it's not. Abby would love that. Michael actually would. Michael can come from up on stage, a piano player, you know. But here's kind of the problem we're seeing in the American church. And A.W. Tozer said this years and years and years ago. He said, the church that can't worship must be entertained. The church that cannot worship must be entertained. I am not coming here to be entertained. I am not Russell Crowe and the gladiator. After every sermon, we go, are you not entertained? No, no. But man, I want us to be known for our worship. Man, I want us to know for the songs that we write. I want us to be known for the music that we sing. I want us to be known that every single person at Avenue Church can sing and lift up their voice. I want us to be known that the power and the presence of God is with us when we worship. When we worship, this is a great commentary. It says that worship is an expression of reverence and adoration to God. I want you to capture this in your moment. When I worship, when I'm here in the seat, when, I, when you barely get here, when your kids have been acting up, when you had a fight with your wife, when, you had, when you're, you're lonely or depressed or tired or whatever it is, and you come into this house, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I expressing reverence and adoration to God? Every single time I worship, it covers activities, adoration, thanksgiving, prayers, offerings of sacrifice, making of vows. The English word for worship literally means worth-ship. It's worth-ship. When I'm worshiping Jesus, I'm giving him all my praise. I'm giving him, I'm saying, God, you alone are worthy. You alone are the only one who deserves my praise when we worth-ship. And so I'm going to call the band up super early today because worship is my prescription. Worship is my prescription. What do I do when I feel like, man, I'm just, I'm getting attacked? Worship. What do I do when I'm just feeling down and out? Worship. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit into your heart. I need you to talk to the Holy Spirit. I need you to talk to God. Because when we worship, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The one has all power and authority over all the uh, uh, unseen, of all the principalities and all the darkness. 
That when we worship, God begins to do a work in our brain, and he begins to do a work in our heart, and he begins to do a work in our spirit. And so if worship is my prescription, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about worship for the rest of this message. And after we talk about worship for the rest of this message, I want us to be able to ask God to come down into this room and to set us free. To set us free from any kind of evil spirits any kind of influence, any kind of tormenting, any kind of uh, generational curses, begin to see what God can do in this moment, in this room today. So the first thing we do with worship is we sing. We sing. Psalms 100 says this, uh, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Notice it doesn't say sing on key. Come on, somebody. Your deaf pastor just said, amen, you know, like, thank you, Jesus. To sing with joy. Can I just, can I be real with you, though? Don't you dare let your bad singing voice stop you from singing joy to the Lord. Don't you dare. It says this in First Chronicles. I mean, I've, I've, I've even heard it before. Why does the church have band and guitar players and all this? David also ordered the Levite leaders to appoint a choir. And this is in First Chronicles chapter 15, David's king, he says, hey, I'm, we're going to have a choir. What about archers? Choir. What about swordsmiths? We, we have that. How about a choir of Levites who were singers and musicians to sing joyful songs to the accompaniment of harps, lyres, and cymbals? So I want, I want to sing. When we worship, we, we lift our voice. Regardless if we can sing good or not. Regardless if we, if we can see the words or whatever it is. We're going to sing. But number, number two is there's bowing and there's kneeling. There's bowing and there's kneeling. When we, when we bow, there's, there's an element of reverence before our king. To say, Lord, I am so unworthy. But I know that when I was still a sinner, you died for me. Uh, Second Chronicles 22, at the very moment they begin to sing and praise. Oh, go ahead, next one, next one. It's not supposed to be there. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. The people he watches over, the flock under his care, if only you would listen to his voice today. Yes. Friends, there is power when we kneel before God. Yes. There is power. And can I also say there's humility that takes place. You know, uh, we rent this building. I would love our own building with a little bit of padded carpet in the front. How I many I'm talking about, right? A little bit of padded carpet, right? If, if we can't get that, then we'll get those cool Catholic things. That, yeah, I don't know, but something to protect these knees, baby. But there is something about kneeling before the Lord. And men especially. Ladies, sometimes I feel like you got, you got the corner, you got the, uh, you know, uh, whatever the phrase is. You got the corner market on worship. What would happen to men in this room? Get to kneel before the Lord, begin to lift their voice before the Lord. What would happen if every single one of us will begin to worship? Next one is standing. And some of you went, oh, thank God. Because some of you are really good at this, by the way. You're really good at this. But here at Psalms 119, it says, I tremble in fear of you. I stand in awe of your regulations. So I want to paint a picture because sometimes we think this is standing. And Abby loves this, trust me. Or we think this is standing. 
No, to stand in the original language means to stand in awe of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, stand firm, right? Stand firm. Uh, Ephesians chapter 8, it says, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Put on God's armor so you'll be able to stand, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. You'll begin to stand. You would stand against, you're just saying, Lord, I, I, don't have the, I don't have the energy to lift my voice, to raise my hands. I feel so defeated, but I am standing firm against the strategies of the devil. I'm standing. I'm still standing. But that's what we're doing, friends. Nowhere in the Bible does it say cross your arms and worship. Because this is this right here, this body language is, don't touch me. Get away from me. I don't want nothing to do. I'm disappointed. And God is saying, I love you so much. If you would draw near to me, I'm going to draw near to you. I'm going to do a miracle in your life. I have seen, I used to travel with evangelists. I have seen a father at one end of the row standing like this during worship, and then the mom, and then I would see the son. And you know what the son would be doing? The exact same thing dad's doing. So they're standing, but there's a standing in awe of God. Go, God, I am so, I have a healthy respect and a fear of the Lord. But here's the next one. This is where it can get kind of fun. And help this white boy out. But there's dancing. There's dancing. There's dancing. Uh, Psalms 149 says, praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. Some people, this is one of my pet peeves in church. I'm, I try to dance. I try, I try to get going. You know what I mean? Like, but sometimes people are like, I will never dance in church. Well, oh, can I get a little east side just for a second? Is that all right? Can I get a little? If, 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 if you walk through those doors, I put a stamp right here, you'll start dancing. I mean, I'm talking about, huh? If I put a stamp right here, you'll go, hey. Look at Jesus. Hey, why, why does the club get better dancing than the church? Why? The Bible said David danced with all his might. His wife was in the roof going, that, that idiot, he looks stupid. He, he's supposed to be king. And David's going, I, I may be king, but I'm also a child of God. And he danced with all his might. Man, we had so many weddings, and it was so fun. To, see, to even be at weddings with all alcohol and to see people still dancing and having fun. There is a particular wedding. Uh, Brittany, Brittany had a sneaky photographer. And at Brittany's wedding, there's a picture of your pastor worshiping. I'm worshiping. I'm just, I'm just moving what the good Lord gave me. But how come... We can't dance before the Lord. Because you know what dancing symbolizes? It's joy. Dancing symbolizes it's victory. Dancing symbolizes we've won the battle. Dancing symbolizes I got something going on in here. You know what I'm saying? All right. Dancing. But here's the next one. Playing instruments and shouting. 
So go ahead, worship team, help me with this. Psalms 33, praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. This is instruments. Make music for him on the 10-string harp. Sing a new song of praise. Play skillfully in the harp. Sing with joy for the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. So go ahead, worship team. I need to even give you a heads up. Terry, help us lead and just give me some music. And this is right here. And right here, this is worship. This is worship. Jimmy, Terry, Michael, uh, Tim, Leah, and Tom, they're not up here performing. They're not up here. They're not up here just, you know, uh, look at us and look what I'm doing. They're worshiping Jesus. There are some musicians in this house. God has given you a gift to play, but for some reason, a tormenting spirit wants to just keep you out there instead of up here. When God is saying, I place that gift inside of you to bring him praise and to bring him glory, not you, but to bring, get it, get, give him glory. So there's something powerful. So, uh, Joshua chapter, I want you to see this. When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people will charge straight into the town. So give me just a second worship team, just for a moment, just for a moment. There are, there are two or three times in the Bible God says, all, all you need to do is shout. All you need to do is shout. And when I shout, I will begin to fight your battles. When, I, when, when, you, when, you, when you shout, God begins to confuse the enemy. When, when, you, when you shout, say, Jesus! The enemy has to scatter. The enemy has to flee. My goodness, what are we, are we having church today? Now here's the next one, Wrote down real quick. Here's the next one, it's clapping. It's clapping. Ah! Now, Psalms 47. Psalms 47 says this, come everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with a joyful praise. Now, can I just tell you this? I'm, I'm sharing these things because sometimes there's many of us in this room, you say, I grew up in church. I know what you're, I know what you're doing. You're telling me how to worship. No, I'm reminding you to worship again. I'm reminding you to worship again. I'm reminding you to worship again. Abby, Abby had a beautiful wedding and she had an Ethiopian celebration and we clapped forever. Lots of clapping. And I loved it because we were all in unison and we would just clap for hours. And you know, even priests, they used to clap the demons out. Even in the early 1800s, they would, they would bring the law enforcement to a house of someone who had to come out of the house. They didn't have megaphone, megahones or megahone, megahone, what's a megahone? They have a megaphone or, or a loud intercom speaker like we do uh, in this day and age. And so what they would do is to get someone to come out of the house to arrest them, to, to, to put them into custody, someone who doesn't belong. They would walk up to the house and they would go, And that was their sign for them to get out of the house before they were going to go into the house, break down the door, grab the individual, arrest them, and put them into the house. That's one of the areas where in the local church, in the early church, we get clapping from. When we say, demons got to leave, demonic spirits have to leave, God has given me the authority in Jesus' name. So we clap. So we clap. The next one is, is lifting hands. Lifting hands. Lifting your hands is, a, is, is surrender. 
just saying surrender. And this is what surrender looks like. And can I tell you this? I think this is, this is fine as well. But some of us, we get before the presence of God and we get so overwhelmed with the presence of God that I've seen people do this. <laughs> you know, like God's at gunpoint. Like, oh God, forgive me, Lord. But there's no rules to this thing called worship. But the Bible says in Psalm 63, I, I praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Search Timothy chapter 2, verse 18. It says, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted to God. I want women to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. You know how hard it is to be mad at someone if you have worship in your home? And you're like, you're the same God. Ah, I hate you. You know what I mean? Like, you know how hard that can be? Because there's power in worship. A theologian named Christopher said this. He said, the point is, is that we observe humble physical expressions of true worship. We're not being distracted from God. And hear me out. I've seen things in the local church where you're like, that's a distraction. Like that is, you want people to see you instead of seeing God. But this is true, authentic worship. We're not being distracted from God, but we're pointing to God. The authentic hand raised, the genuine bowed knee declares, see his sovereignty, see his supremacy, see his lordship over all. Over all. So I'm going to give you a seven-day worship challenge. And I challenge you, I double-dog dare you to start every single day with worship. That means you got to do some homework. That means it can be the Avenue Spotify playlist that we have, and we can share that today on social media. It could be songs that you like, that you love. It could be hymns. Man, it could be something that you grew up with. I have seasons of songs in my life. There are seasons where I listen to a song, and that's my song. That is the song that the presence of God comes in, not because it has a good tune, not because it sounds good, because it's the exact words I need for my season that I'm in. And so I want you to start every single day with worship. Pastor Lizzie, even this week, just instrumental worship. Worship without words so she can pray and worship Jesus herself. I challenge you, and I want to ask you today, I challenge you, who wants to, who's willing to do this this week? Seven days, every single morning, you put on that Spotify, you put on that Apple Music, you put on that Napster, I don't know what else there is, you know. But I want you to play worship music in your bedroom, in your car, wherever you're at. I even had another little uh, subline or subtitle for this challenge. Is that maybe in the morning, it's just not good enough for you. Maybe you need to worship when you feel down. I want you to worship when you're feeling depressed. I want you to worship when you feel like there's no hope. I want you to worship, and you might have to excuse yourself. You might have to be, I need to go away. Just for, I'll be right back. And you get before the presence of God, and you worship when you don't feel like it. The greatest moments and experiences that I've ever had with God is when I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to that prayer service. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to go to my room and worship. I didn't want to read my Bible. It's just those moments where I've experienced God the greatest. And here's the power of worship in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It says, at the very moment, they begin to sing the praises, and the Lord caused the armies of these three areas to start fighting amongst themselves. All throughout the Old Testament, 
even Gideon. He's like, I got weapons. And God says, no, I want you to break jars of clay. And I want you to lift a voice to shout and blow on the instruments. It, there's several instances in the Old Testament where our worship is the only thing that we have to do. Our worship is the only thing that we have to do. God's going to fight our battles. God's going to fight our battles. So will you stand with me, please? I got one more slide. Thank you for worshiping in the back of the house. And I want, you to, I want to remind you today, worship is more than singing a song. It's inviting the presence of God. I want you to hear my heart, church. You know kind of what my fear is? My fear is um, come August, come September, come October, we're going to forget how to worship again. That's my fear. And I don't have a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. But man, I want us to be a church that's known not just for our gifts and our talents. I want us to be a church that's known for our worship. That things happen at Avenue Church when they worship. When they worship. When we sing. When we shout. When we lift our hands. When we kneel. When we play our instruments. When we serve. When we live, in, we live with integrity. When we live with holiness. Young people, this generation wants to take your purity and you're saying, no, I got to worship. I ain't going to worship that. I'm worshiping him. It is worship. It is worship. So here's what we're going to do. I don't care what time it is, but our Avenue Kiss workers do. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And we're going to worship in just a moment. But if you're in this room today, and you're saying, Pastor, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I want to give, and I'm going to take it a step further. I want to give my whole heart to the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to come inside and to live in my heart. And if that's you today, just raise a hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just raise a hand. Just raise a hand. One, two, three, four, five, six. Anyone else? Six, seven, seven hands, eight. Eight hands, eight hands, it's awesome. But church, I want us to worship, dance, lift our hands, kneel, bow, sing, shout, do whatever it is that we gotta do. But my encouragement for you is to do something, is to do something. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, thank you for every hand that went up today. Holy Spirit, I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, that Father, I thank you that when we repent of our sins, when we change our mind, that, Father, you become our Lord and our Savior, that when we believe in our heart, you begin to live inside of us. That, Father, I thank you that we are Christ followers in this room. I thank you that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I speak to any evil, demonic forces by the blood of Jesus Christ that we cast you out in the mighty name of Jesus. We play music. We sing. We shout. Father, we break generational curses in Jesus' name. I rebuke sexual immorality and impurity in Jesus' name. Decession and greed and jealousy. We cast you out in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, Avenue. Will you raise your hands? Will you lift your voice? 
and let's begin to worship just for a couple minutes. Begin to worship, begin to kneel, begin to dance, begin to bow. Just lift your voice today. In Jesus' name. 